Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Hopefully we get it. All right, we're connecting. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I think I have sound. Yeah, can you hear me? Yeah. <laughs> okay, finally. Technology and me do not get along at all. I know, I feel like I was always a kid that played outside when I was younger, so this stuff takes a little bit more time for me. <laughs> yeah, I'm just not smart. You're at least smart. I'm not there. I'll get out of here. <laughs> MMA genius. How's everything going? I wish. I wish. <laughs> How's everything been with you and your family? Staying safe now? Good, yeah. Everybody's great. Um, just hanging out and, you know, living the sequestered life, so to speak. The, the, uh, the uh, big exciting parts of my day, I work out and arrange my sock drawers and read books and sometimes play video games. You know, yeah. it's a good day. It's a yeah. good day. Any, any good books you're reading? Uh, I am reading, I always read two in a row because of my ADD, I guess, but uh, I'm reading from, uh, from uh, Bacteria to Bach and back. And then also I, once a year, I read Lord of the Rings. So I'm finishing that up. Nice, nice. Yep. Yeah, two good books. That's good. that's good stuff. I tell everyone that especially now you have this time, like try to do something, be productive, right? Make some kind of use of your time where it's learning <laughs> skill, working on your, like we, we talk about obviously a lot about mindset, but nutrition, do some kind of strength conditioning. I mean, do you, the, the athletes you, you work with, what do you tell them to do during this time? Well, I, the nice thing about being an athlete in, in our sport is that it's not a huge change. The only huge change really is going out. Like you basically, if you live at the gym, which a lot of them do, they just go downstairs and work out. And uh, then they come, they come and go, uh, they come and, yeah. 
go back and uh, uh, play video games or eat or do it. And then they go downstairs and train again. So a lot of them, the routine isn't hugely different. But for those of the, the biggest thing I think that they have to fight is that boredom, right? They're used to having that release that, um, right. so I don't think motivation is the problem. I think they get restless uh, and then sometimes they make bad decisions. Sometimes they make good decisions, but it's that restlessness. Uh, I think when you're an athlete, you want to do, 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 and you need that stimulation. So I think that's their number one challenge, much more than the motivation. Makes sense. Makes sense. Especially around now. I got I to tell you, Greg, when I, saw, when I saw one of the things I was really impressed by, I remember watching UFC back in the day, and I remember seeing on, on one of the athletes' statistics, like, he's of success. And it said, like, college wrestler, mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu, trained by Greg Jackson. <laughs> so, yeah. No, to me, I said, man, that's, that's great. What a compliment. What a shout out to you right there. That's one of his attributes. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I, wish that was, I wish that was always true. Uh, you know, I'm very lucky that I get to do what I love. And I'm very lucky I've got to work with a lot of great, great people. But I mean, really, it's all luck. Like I got into MMA super early right when it started. And uh, I'm just the old dinosaur that's been around long enough to make a bunch of terrible mistakes and uh, kind of climb back out of that. So uh, it, uh, it, it's been really good to me. I love the sport so much. Uh, I love everything about it. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, been a, it's been a heck of a journey. I'll tell you that. Absolutely. You know, so a little, bit, a little bit more than luck. Yeah, a little bit of luck, but hard work, or what is it? Luck is when preparation meets opportunity, right? So one thing that always really stuck out to me, because I'm always, when I'm watching fights, when I'm watching sports, I'm trying to get inside the athlete's head, the coach's head, and seeing what's going on. So I might be picking up on certain things, like maybe missing some of the action, but maybe picking on some mental things that other people might miss. I always notice you have a very calm demeanor, demeanor and it just seems like, you know, giving your, giving your athletes very simple cues, what to focus on. I guess my big question and thoughts are, what do you do to prepare these athletes mentally, the preparation before the fight, and then also during the fight, what are you thinking with relating to the people? I know everyone's a little bit different, but there's some general principles that would help coaches. Well, that's it. I mean, you, you, hit, you hit the nail on the head when you said everyone's different. The general principle is that, is that if you come in saying uh, – Everybody deals with pressure the same way. Everybody deals with judgment the same way. Everybody deals with pain the same way. Um, that, that, I think, is the biggest mistake. It's like everybody doing the exact same diet. Uh, and you're right. There are underlying you know, ubiquitous principles that kind of govern that. But you, to, the first thing you have to understand is that not everybody is the same. The moves will be kind of the same, right? Like a punch is a punch. You might throw it a little bit differently to a to a very small degree but that's kind of the same but people's approach their mindset um their utility like what they like to do and what they don't like to do that's very very different so my first big uh, issue is identifying it like what let's say that you're my athlete and you fight so i uh, i'll watch tape on you if there's tape available i'll see what you do um then i talk to you about the process what do you feel before you go into the fight etc cetera, etc cetera. um sometimes the hardest the hardest point for a fighter is just getting to the cage, right? It's so much pressure. It's so crazy. Everyone's so judgmental that just getting to the cage is, is hard. And then just going through that experience, right? There's somebody trying to knock your block off in there. So the whole thing is, is, can be very traumatic. Some fighters will thrive on that. They just love all the attention and all the, the, uh, the spotlight. And so the cage is all right to them, but it's not as fun as the outside and they kind of do the inside work in the cage so that they can uh, live their life outside of the cage. 
There's some people that like both. So you, you have to identify each of those individual factors and then find what motivates them. Um, rarely I'll yell at people. Very rarely I'll, I'll have to get up on their grill. But most fighters, especially at the level that I'm working with now, uh, you know, like screaming at them isn't going to make them suddenly do, you know what I mean? Like, oh, well, I didn't realize I was messing up. Let me fix it. Usually at that level, it's not that the case. Um, you know, I'll tell people, you got to get on them. You know, you, you need to kind of turn it up a, a little bit. Uh, we're losing or, or whatever. But uh, it's much more uh, powerful, I think, to me to be matter of fact about it. Like um, when you scream, then you're listening to the emotion. You're not listening to what I'm saying, right? Like you're, you're kind of hit by that. Um, and so I, I think that uh, if you're calm in the fire and, and you give people goals to, to shoot for, it gives them something to anchor onto. That makes sense. Now you said you, you speak with the athletes, I guess when you first get them about what they're feeling on the, on the, on the way to, you know, going into the fight, uh, do, you, do you address that more like formally or is it informally and how do you keep up? Does that become an ongoing communication? Yeah, it's very informal and ongoing. So, because again, you're, you're dealing with people that is very individualized. Like MMA is a team sport and not a team sport at the exact same time. Right. In the same weird way that like, you're, the, you're literally the center of your own universe, right? Everything you measure comes from you, but at the same time, you're completely insignificant in the universe, like nothing, you know, you're a very small bit of matter. But, so both of those opposite things are true. And I think that's, that's very true in fighting as well. You, you are, uh, you're a member of a team and then also very, very uh, individualized stuff. So keeping that kind of that, uh, dichotomy is the wrong word but kind of that that balance between those two i think is very important so it's we keep it very informal and we keep it very like you're part of the team but also i'm really talking to you individually and saying you know what are we doing here you know are you do you need to be calm do you need to you're being too calm you need to wake up a little bit that kind of stuff um and that, a lot of that's just reading i always say it's like playing jazz you have to read the fighter like sometimes you got to go fast <laughs> That's my jazz impression. Sometimes you got to slow it way down, but reading the situation, reading the fighter is very, very important. Not just like right before you go out to the fight, but leading up to it. So it's a, I wish there was like a, a pure formula that you could give somebody and be like, here's A, B, C, and D. But it's so artistic, right? It's so, you have to read the room. You have to push when you need to push and pull when you need to pull. Um, some of that's experience, some of it's common sense, and some of it's just being able to read the athlete. That makes sense. And I said there are some general principles that apply, or maybe some common traps that athletes fall sure. mentally. Maybe it's, I don't know, maybe it's focusing too much on the outcome, uh, thinking too much about the crowd, um, what this is going to do for their career, this fight. Uh, what are some of those principles that you see, and maybe some of those kind of common bear traps mentally that athletes face? Well, I think that, again, it's very individualized. Sometimes the thinking about the crowd gets them motivated, right? Like instead of distracting them, instead of pulling out of the process, there's people that don't want to fail in front of those people. And that's huge motivation. So again, like even those things that are like, okay, well, what's pulling you out? So you're, you're involved in the process of fighting. What's pulling you out of that process? That's basically the question you have to ask yourself. Like what is pain pulling me out of the process? Is judgment pulling me out of the process? Is fear pulling me out of, what is pulling me out of the process? So you have to identify that. So that's a real, the, the print, I know it sounds ridiculous, right? The, but the principle is that you, you have to identify what is pulling you out of the process. And it's so different. It's so, so different. It, when you're a young fighter, usually it's fear of the unknown. Like you don't know 
what's going to happen. And then after you get kind of cocky for a while, and then as I see you get mature, again, you'll see that come back, which is really weird. They'll get the fear of the unknown again, really dictates how they, how they act. You'll see fighters could not grow anymore. They'll stop growing because like when they were young, they start fearing losing the fights, losing the titles, losing this stuff. So they really get kind of controlled and, and they won't, uh, they'll do exactly what is needed to win. No more, no less, right? So you get very, um, I always say they think they've got it figured out. You see people go through that process again, but that's just that fear of the unknown again. Like I don't want to lose what I have and I might lose it. So you get out of that hunting mentality. So even that in itself is something that's pulling you out of the process that you have to identify and try to overcome. Um, so it's incredibly, for me, it's incredibly complicated uh, just because of that. So, and so some things that you want to do is, first of all, you have to have fire and you can't, to have fire, you have to have fire. Like you can't wake up and say, I'm going to have fire today. Like it's just, it's, it's got to be in your personality to do these things. Um, the great thing is you can choose that. You can literally wake up and say, mm, I'm tired of how I'm being now or how I feel now. I'm going to choose to try to be something else. And that's a big deal. So that in itself is kind of the kernel of anything. Some fighters have to be fighters. Like they couldn't, you're not going to make a car salesman out of them no matter what you do, right? They just have to fight. That's it. Some people choose to fight. Some people fight because they're, they were young and afraid and they wanted to get powerful. So there's so many different motivations to it. Um, but the big one is, okay, so let's say I want to do the sport. What is pulling me out of the process? Laziness? Okay, well, you know, I'd rather just sit down. Well, then you need to identify that so you can overcome it. Um, fear, whatever it is, you need to, but you have to sit down and be honest with yourself and you say, I want this process for me to be a champion or for me to win a fight or whatever you want to do. So what, what factors are pulling me out of that? First thing you identify them, then you identify them, then you can work with them. But if you're just like, all right, you wake up and I'm going to do 50, like that's not knowing yourself, right? So in like old Sun Tzu says, right? You got to know yourself and know your enemy. So you first need to know yourself. And so what, what is what what bad things happen to to you between your wanting your desire and your completion so the process is everything once you right. identify the things that are pulling out of the process then you can start working on them and so i do that as a coach with the with the athlete but the athlete can do it themselves they can say uh every time some people the more successful they get the more they can't handle it and the, the personality is detrimental some sometimes they fail and they do the best when they fail. Like I have a lot of fighters that have, as soon as they start winning, they know everything, they'll figure it out, we got this handled. And then when they fail, they come back super humble, will you help, I don't know, some are the opposite. Um, but again, what pulls you out of that process to victory? That's what you have to identify. And then you have to attack it. Do you ever have them write any of that down? I don't personally, because it's a very person, that's a very, I mean, you're basically getting to the core of who you are, right? Right. So some people are very comfortable with writing down that some people are, are not comfortable at all with it. They just want to talk about it. And then they just want it to be fix me kind of, you know what I mean? Or help me fix myself kind of idea. But um, it, so writing it down works for some people. It really does. Um, the, the writing down stuff keeps you uh, centered, right? So you can come back to that writing and you can say, oh, these are the things that I want to do. So that helps out where that is detrimental is, where you're looking outside for change, like a self-help book. Like when you read self-help books, you're looking out, instead of changing from the inside out, you're looking from the outside in. And that is something that you wanna make sure that, like you just have to decide, okay, um, it, this is 
in in your in your psychology this is something that i want to change and then you just have to try to change it like you can't not it's so hard to do right you just it sounds so stupid still but you really you literally decide you're like mm, okay no like i'm tired of that i am not doing it anymore and you'll find it like it becomes in waves right you're like ah i'm, I'm not dealing with whatever very well I got to remember this. And sometimes that list can then center you. Here's the things I want to think about when I do that. And that's where I write, I would write down the solutions to the problems. And there's great, great sports psychologists out there. Um, so when you're feeling, you know, something bad, like, oh, I failed before. I don't want to do it again. The sports psychologist can give you a list of here's what you, here's the mental process that you go through. And I think that's very handy because it gives you kind of, it's training, right? It gives you an anchor. And right. you can, if it's visualization, whatever your technique that works for you, but you've identified the problem, then the next step is working those solutions. And, and the solution side, I see writing it down is much more helpful than, than, oh, here's what's wrong with me, right? Yeah. Like not, so the solution side, as long as it's going from the inside out and it gives you, these are the steps you want to think about. Right. And so, because otherwise athletes are looking at it as a magic pill. Like if I just read another book or just watch right. another Yes, then I'm going to have all the answers. You got it. You got it. And that and that is so very common. I mean, there's a huge industry on it, right? But not just athletes, everybody. I mean, that's just, if you want to improve yourself, you have to first know your, right? You have to be honest with yourself. Like, you can't read a book, to, to, but the book's not going to tell you what's wrong with you. Like, it just doesn't know you, right? You know you. And if you're not ready to sit down and say, what's the matter? Like, I got a whole list of stuff wrong with me. I have a, and I have a lifetime to try to fix it. But uh, the, 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 the important thing is deciding that you are going to do something about it and then trying to find that solution. Yeah. Do you find like sometimes those self-help books are a little bit too like abstract and theoretical and as athletes, we're more like hands-on learners. We need to more practice. Yeah. Again, you're, you're, that's a dead on statement. Like athletes are, are 1% of people, right? Like most people aren't athletes, especially professional athletes, right? So that's a very, again, it's very individualized. You can't just go to the same well that everybody else drinks from when you're doing something different. You can if you, listen, if you're, um, I don't know, everybody's into computers, a computer programmer or something, unless you're like the 1% of the 1% that's like the cutting edge of AI, you, you, there's, a, there's a formula to your personality and those things will help you. Um, but I, as an athlete, you're so specialized especially as an MMA athlete. There's so many various areas to, to be good at, to not be good at, to, to improve your game. Um, it's, it's incredibly, incredibly intricate and specialized. And so understanding that, that you're, a, you're a special little snowflake and that you need what works for you and it might not work for anybody else or it might work for, I don't know, a computer scientist. You just don't know until you start doing your analyzation process. Yeah. That's one of the things we do with our, with our mindset program. I learned, like, because my master's degree was in sports psychology, and I found that a lot of the books were, okay, this is what confidence is, and it gives you, like, 10 pages on confidence. Right. Right. These three exercises, and everyone skips the exercises, and now you're on to learning about relaxing under pressure. And my right. thing was, those exercises are actually what's going to give you the success. So we, exactly. do, we focus the majority on, okay, so like an you said about self-knowledge, knowing yourself. We have the athletes write down, what are your three best performances? What are your three worst performances? What was going on in your head before, enduring, competing? And write it down. And then you could pick up Beautiful. the threads of your three best performances, three worst, and you prove it to yourself. Okay, this is what I should focus on that's going to make me do well. This is going to hurt me. And like you said, just no two guys are the same. Your sheet might look different than my sheet, but it gives you information. Yeah. 
I love that, Betsy. That's why you're good at your job. <laughs> well, I get, get good at the job from listening to people like you, uh, books and put it all together. No, it's important. God is yeah. successful people. You know, it, well, yeah, successful people are nice to hang out with because they're driven and like-minded. That's really, that's really cool. Um, and also, I think that as I get older, not that I'm not old yet, a little bit of gray, but not terrible. Uh, as I get older, I, I really appreciate high-level humility, like people that, and, and I say it a lot, because you know one thing doesn't mean that you know all things. And like your approach was I think what really makes you good is you're always looking for new information outside stuff. There's nothing worse than talking to a guy that knows everything about everything. Like they know basketball, anything that ever has happened, they know about like those people, I think never grow, right? Cause they're never sitting down and saying, Hey, teach me some more stuff. There, I, there's so much I don't know, even in my own sport that it's, and thank God, right? Like how bored would you be if you knew everything? But uh, I think that your approach should be a fighter's approach, should be an athlete's approach. Like always be humble, always listen. Even if, um, that's one great thing that always impressed me about George St. Pierre, no matter who you were, he would listen to you. And even if you were like trying to show him a Kung Fu move, like the, you know, for the palm through the chest or whatever, you know, like old school stuff, uh, he would listen and actually listen to anything, see if he could gleam anything off of it. I always thought, was very impressed by that. Uh, and I, I think there's something to that. I think that listening to people, to uh, to uh, uh, absorbing new information, sometimes you're like, okay, that's not going to work for me. But sometimes you, you really get it. I think that's another great tool that a lot of great, great athletes have is that high-level humility. Yeah. It's um, the more you know, you realize the more you don't know. When yeah, you, right. When you think you have all the answers, that means you need to start changing your questions. Right. 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 Yeah, the, that's, there you go. That's a great saying. I'm going to steal that. See, yeah. I just learned something. <laughs> well, I, I actually, I actually stole that from Louis Simmons over at Westside Barbell. Well, there you go. So there, it's the spreading out, spreading out the knowledge. I love it. That's it. I said, hey, look at the great thing about ideas. It's different than it's different than dollars. If I have a dollar and you have a dollar and we switch, we both still have a dollar. But if I have an idea and you have an idea and we switch, now we both have two ideas. <laughs> there you go. I love it. Exponential. I love it. <laughs> Greg, who, who are some of your role models as a coach? Because as you developed and you said, I want to be a coach, you probably had an image in your head of what you were trying to create. Did you take a little bit from this guy, take a little bit from that person? So here's the funny thing is I never wanted to be a coach, ever. Yeah. Like, I, I just wanted to be a martial arts instructor. and I, I literally fell into the coaching thing completely by accident. So I never had, like, a coaching mentor most of my mentors are uh, like people from history. Um, I have a, uh, like my dad and uh, Jim Dudley, who was my, my literal mentor, I have those guys, but they didn't have anything to do with martial arts or coaching. Um, but they have attributes that I enjoyed and that I wanted to learn and, and emulate. Um, but I never had a coach where like, this is the guy, you know what I mean? Just because I never really, I, I ne did not wake up wanting to be a coach at all. Could, could, could have cared less about it. I just can't say no to my friends, and that's why I'm here 20-some-odd years later. No, that's awesome. What were, what were some of those little attributes that you wanted to take from your dad and from the other person, the other person? What were some of those things? Well, I think, and you have it too, I think it's that curiosity. I think the underlying curiosity about how the world works, and, that, and athletes are part of that world, um, the, I think that's really important. I think that um, the underlying... Uh, the, 
they looked at the world like uh, my mentor Jim Dudley is a polymath. Um, uh, he amazing philosopher guy. Uh, he, he's the guy like I always say he built his own harpsichord, like built it from scratch and then plays Bach on it. Like he's that guy. So, uh, but he they really taught me that these underlying when fractals and uh, nonlinear dynamics and all that stuff was really starting to to come to fruition in the eighties. He was teaching me all about it. Um, so that. They, they showed me this underlying structure. So that's what I wanted to start looking for in strategy, right? What are the underlying ubiquitous principles that govern strategy? Like what, because there are things, right? Like in, in there's books on it, obviously, uh, in my opinion, Musashi wrote the best one. Sun Tzu wrote a great one, but there's also people like uh, uh, Azergat, BH Little Heart. Uh, there's, there's so many great strategists out there, but you, st you start seeing people like Boyd who were able to start connecting that and who really understood synthesizing stuff and, and who did everything that I'm trying to do, except of course they're smarter and, and better at it. Um, but that, so you can really, that, that thirst for knowledge, that thirst for uh, kind of seeing the underlying structures of things. I think that's one of the attributes they give me. And then a lot of leadership stuff, right? Like, and that's where I would learn from history. Like anytime that you get so like self-important or you're like, Oh, my life was there. And then you, you read about like, even our, some of our great presidents like Lincoln and Washington. I mean, that's, <laughs> these are real men with real problems. You know what I mean? Like you <laughs> are an entertaining coach. That, you know what I mean? Like it just keeps you grounded and humbled and hungry. And, um, uh, and it's so, it's such a gift to have their contributions. Uh, even stories that I've read before, I'll read again, just to try to keep myself motivated and stuff. So that's where I find my motivation is uh, reading about these great people or studying these great people. Like I'm the biggest uh, John Boyd fan you can find. I mean, that dude is so smart. So I'll just listen to his lectures again, even though I've listened to him a hundred times and, yeah. and be like, wow, that's amazing. You know, that's what a sharp guy. But, and like you said, I think that's a real important point that even if, even if you're not like the mastermind innovator coming up, Stuff. If you're a synthesizer and you're able to take a little bit from history, you take a little bit from the exper personal experience, a little bit from the top athletes, a little bit of the research, and then you bring that all together. Now, now you're the synthesizer may have advantage on all the innovators. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think the synthesizers are the innovators. I really do. I think it's hard to innovate if you haven't synthesized something. Uh, the synthesis itself usually leads to innovation in my experience. So I, the innovators, I, I, I feel sometimes they come up with really cool one or two really cool things. But if you're going to be consistently innovating things, consistently innovating things, then you need to be a master of synthesis. You need to be able, because so, especially in our art, so many things are being innovated all the time. So you have to keep up with all of that and then come up with your own new ideas. And that, that process is really the only reason I'm relevant today is that, um, I mean, because when I started out, there were a ton of MMA teams um, and really, I think AKA and me are the only ones that are left from the, from the early nineties. I'm sure there's some smaller ones too, but of the big ones that I would see all the time. Um, and so that the ability to try to synthesize those techniques and then innovate to come up with counters, to come up with new ideas and all that stuff. I mean, that's the fun, right? Like that's the, that's what gets you up in the morning. Um, you'll have a lot of failures. You'll have some great successes, but it's the process that matters. Yeah. Were there any turning points in your career where you felt like, Maybe you weren't as focused on the process or you needed to differently with, with athletes and then, okay, I'm going to do more of this and I'm going to do less of that to help get well, you. 
I think that, I'm sorry, but I think that one of the huge problems that I had is I, I was setting such a high pace, right? Every weekend, multiple fights for years, 10, 15 years, I set such a high pace that burnout was inevitable. But I was just, you know, when you're younger, you just think you're invincible. Like, I've, I've burnt out. What's that? You know what I mean? Like, uh, so when it happened to me, it hit me really hard. Like, I wasn't as good a coach as I needed to be. Um, and I, I was more apathetic than I should have been. Um, but I was exhausted. I was burned out. Um, and so going through that process, the great thing about being older is that you go through all of this weird, incredible stuff. And then you come back out of it and you're like, wow, that was an intense experience. It's so cool. Like I, people are always like, I want to be young again. I want to be young again. I never want to be young again. I, I'm really enjoying the challenges that age brings, but I'm also enjoying the like, looking back on the experiences. So I was very, a very ineffective coach for a while, just because I was, man, I was just cooked, just cooked. It was rough. And I know I'm like, Oh, poor Greg is good. But you know, it's just, you know, I set a high pace and I wasn't mentally strong enough after about 15 years to, uh, to keep that pace up. I had to break and then I had to kind of, you know, crawl, crawl my way uh, back up out of that. Yeah. I find that too, as, as a business owner, it's like, you want, I want to get everything done at once. But then you, right. burn yourself, then you burn yourself out. Well, if you could go back and maybe give yourself some advice on that, what would you say in terms of like, because of course, when you're young, you are fired up. So you do want to use some of them, some of that momentum. But at the same time, you don't want to burn it out. So what would your schedule look like if you could do it again? I wouldn't change it. I had so much, I had so much fun. I pushed so hard. It was so great. Um, I'll take it and I'll take the burnout again and come out the other side of it. I, I wouldn't change a thing on it. I mean, I would try to, I think what I would do is probably step back more. I would have gone, uh, I'm not going to be the best coach right now, guys. You need to find another, but I still loved it. I was just yeah. burned out. It's a weird place, right? I'm sure you've been there. So Makes sense. Uh, yeah. Uh, but I, man, that pace, like, I don't know how many fights I've cornered, but I do know that probably nobody is going to catch up for a good while, especially because in those days, there weren't a lot of people doing MMA. So I would have fight cards that were all my fighters, like eight, 10 fights a night. Like, and I would just sit in the corner and the next one would come and the next one would come. And then, but that's not going to happen much anymore because there's so many people doing it. Um, but like for those 10 or 15 years, I, th I think I set a record at least in MMA, probably not nearly in boxing, but in MMA where you are not, in order to corner the amount of fights and do the amount of dumb stuff that I've done, like I've done boneheaded stuff. Everything you've done wrong in a corner you can do, I've done. Just because it's, I don't know, it's over a thousand fights easily. So like you're gonna, even if you make 1% mistakes, right? That's quite a bit of fights. So uh, it, it, it has really taught me a lot. It's been a lot and I wouldn't change any of that push. I wouldn't change it. Uh, yeah, and hopefully I can get ready for round two. Yeah, you just, you just learn so many lessons, and especially a sport that's so holistic that requires the total person, you know, the mindset, the technique, the nutrition, the conditioning, the strength, and on and on and on. It's just yeah. there's, there's so much to learn, so much there, to learn. My, man, yes. <laughs> my dad always said the biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. Oh, man, you are like a gem. You're just kicking about. I love it. That's awesome. That's awesome. I do, I do a lot of presentations at, at coaching conventions. So you got to have, uh, you could give all this great information, but people want the tweetable moment. They want the tweetable right. right. Well, you know, some, like I said, sometimes those things anchor, man, like really do. I found as I get older, 
Like that phrases like that can anchor you. You can be like, like my anchor a lot of times is I love my job. Like I'll be, you know, it's harder for me to work out these days just because of all the injuries and stuff. But in the middle of it, I'll be like, you know what? I love my job. Uh, little anchors like that, I think, go a long way, um, which is what those, those tweetable moments can give you. Absolutely. Absolutely. One, like one of our key lessons that we have, every coach under the sun says, focus on what you could control. Don't focus on what you can't control. But how do you get that through a kid's thick skull, right? So we right. talk the difference between a predator and a prey mindset. Predator animals have their eyes on the front of their head. So we say eyes on the front like to hunt. Prey well, yeah. on the side. So we say eyes on the side like to hide. So that becomes a metaphor for don't focus on wins and losses, records, rankings, seedings, predictions. Don't focus on what the crowd's thinking about you. Don't compare to other people. Just focus on what's in your control, like your effort, your attitude, your aggressiveness. So absolutely, yeah, I love that. Um, we always we use that hunting a lot. You're not hunting. Yeah, yeah that's it's a very good uh, it's a very good analogy. Very yeah. good. this way, it like kind of sticks in their head. Otherwise, because we have so many things going on, and you, know, right. you need to like, like you said, anchoring is so important. That's so critical. Right. You're right. Well, I think that's a great way to do it. Sorry. Do you tell your athletes to use any anchors in a fight, like if they make a mistake or if they feel like something didn't go their way? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, usually I try to anchor them when they first get into the octagon, like have them. Some of them really need that. Like you look at a logo or you look across the cage at whoever's uh, like next to the person. You know what I mean? Something to anchor them down there just to get them relaxed and comfortable in their house. Uh, we do that a lot. During the process, the, um, we don't do a lot of anchoring there. And in the corner, sometimes I'll have to bring them back. Um, just because, again, even for me, once the process has started, and this is just my opinion, I don't know if it's right or wrong, um, but once the process has started, when you start thinking, I need to anchor myself, that in itself is pulling you back out of the process. Yeah. So um, in the corner where you get a breath to do it, yeah, I would, I, I would try to anchor them there. But I don't know if I've ever had, and maybe that's a, a failing of mine, an, a, an anchor during, during other than, because I always thought it was detrimental. But maybe I'm wrong about that. No, but, but, I, I, but you're nailing it, that you don't want to come up at the day up. That would be detrimental if you were coming there right. up at the day up. If they were maybe going through it in practice. And they got oh, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Well, as usual, I misunderstand. I'm phenomenally like bad at understanding especially the sports like mma itself like i never understood mma one of the writers one time said greg was a great he's a great mma coach but he has no idea what the sport is and i think he's dead on like i, I think i'm figuring it out more these days but like uh i uh i have i just like and i always say this in interviews like i i don't know what is going to be popular i just have no sense of that like I, yeah but that's because you're a hunter. That's because you have the predator mindset. You're not focusing on what's going on around you. You're focused on that process. What's in front of you? <laughs> well, listen, when I feel bad about it, I'll call you and then you can tell me. You're a hunter. You're okay, Greg. It's not that you're a dumbass. You're a hunter. <laughs> no, get out of here. What's your, what's your feelings about maybe like them listening to music when they're warming up? Do you want them listening to the music? No music? Oh, oh yeah, I love music. Because music and fighting are about, uh, very similar in the rhythms, right? Yeah. So, uh, again, using that jazz analogy, but you can use any kind of analogy. The um, I always think that fighting has an emotional component to it if you're doing it right. And that's pretty much the only thing I tell my fighters you're allowed to feel is that come on, you know what I mean? Like that, oh, that, uh, the joy of battle, as Tolkien would say, um, that you're allowed to feel and nothing else, right? Like you can't be like, oh, I'm winning, I'm winning. As soon as you say that, you're out of the process. Or vice versa, I'm losing, I'm losing. You're out of the process. 
um, you have to be just, you, you have to really feel that, that joy of battle. So um, music, awesome. I think gives you that it gives you the rhythm and it also gives you that, that like Beethoven's ninth is one of my favorite pieces of music because of the emotional value in it. Right. You're like, wow, that's, a re it really gets you happy. And, um, but there's a lot of more complicated music that might not have that, that emotional balance. Um, I know Jesus, anything by Bach, just, there's a lot of emotion there. But uh, my point is, is that if you find it, you find in, in fighting, you want that rhythm and that emotional value. If you find music that gives you that, where you can kind of keep that, that beat, change it, move it around, but then also the music kind of gets you going and up and stuff. So I love it when, when fighters listen to music in the backstage or, uh, I think it was Sugar Ray Robinson once that said, I wish the band would play during my entire, because they wouldn't know they'd have the little yeah. band before you get out there. He said, I, I wish the band would play for my entire fight, just because he loved that rhythm. And when you talk to high level fighters, that's what they'll talk about, the rhythm, the rhythm. Can you keep pace with me? Can you mess with, can you, if I move fast, if my rhythm moves faster than you do, right? It might loop, my rhythm is moving faster than you. Can you keep pace with that? So I think that that connection to rhythm for fighters is, is, uh, is really good. I think that's huge. Those are great points. And as far as the only emotion they're allowed to feel is the joy of competing. Several, several things jump in my head. I think about Bruce Lee entered the dragon where he mm -hmm. said, I want emotional content, not anger. That's what he was saying. Oh yeah. There you go. Yeah. There you go. That's right. <laughs> yeah, as usual, Bruce thought of it in, in, and, uh, in a brilliant way. I think about that. And I also think it was one of those master classes that popped up as a, um, like one of those advertisements. And it was Carlos Santana, and he was talking about playing guitar, and like he was really moving his body. And he said, "If you don't move like this, you're not going to play it like this." But that's yeah. what you were saying. He was like putting your right. putting yourself into it. Right, that's right. I, I think that. I mean, I think that's ubiquitous to any artist, right? Like you get rock and roll, like you say, like you know, rock and rollers, um, movie professionals, whatever it is. I, I think that when you're when you're feeling that joy from it, then you're. And if you can do that with all the duress and all the pain and all the physical stuff that comes, uh, yeah, you're onto something. Awesome. Great stuff, Greg. Uh, th thanks a million for all this. It's just a ton of information. Oh. Like I said, you're master. Uh, no, you are. You are. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I've made enough mistakes to figure some stuff out. That's all. There's lots for me to still learn. I feel, I feel like I'm De Niro and analyze this and I'm saying, no, you, you're very good. <laughs> <laughs> It, uh, I, I would, I always want to feel like I need to, I can't be, because I, you know, and you may, you're going to lose, you're going to win, but you, right. the second you feel like you know it all, I think that you get bored and that's, that's bad. Having that white belt mentality, always having a white belt mentality. That's great stuff, Greg. Combined with a white beard mentality and you're good. <laughs> I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting a few grays. That's just stress. That's just stress. That's not age. <laughs> uh, great stuff, Greg. Hey, Stay safe. Happy Easter. God bless you and your family. And um, awesome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on, boss. I really appreciate it. All right. Take care. Good seeing you. Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.